Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> we are beginning a new sort of study here on Sunday morning in the auditorium class. It's going to focus on questions asked uh, in the New Testament, some of the great questions of the New Testament. Good news for you is this will not be uh, usual for me to be in here. I'm just going to do this one probably and maybe one other, but Brother, uh, Brother Paul has set up several different teachers to uh, tackle some of the questions that are posed by Jesus and others uh, in the New Testament. It's, going, it's a real good study, and uh, this morning we'll begin with one of those uh, questions. Okay. So our Bible reading will be from Matthew 5, 43 to 48, to get us started. Uh, Matthew 5, 43 to 48. I really, Brother Tim, I really enjoy that song, Life's Evening Sun. When I was a little boy, I loved that song because of the way it sounded. You know, I was ready. I love that sound. That's different. But as I've gotten older and older and older and older, you appreciate the meaning behind it and the truths that are behind it. So, and within it, Life's Evening Sun. Matthew 5, as you know, is Jesus' sermon on the mount, and we come down to the paragraph, verses 43 through 48. Let's read those uh, together. <clears throat> Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your enemies and hate your You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. So the question comes for us today in verse 47. What do you more than others? That's our question uh, together. What do you more than others? As we get into this question, let's keep in mind, very easy to keep in mind, uh, the great authority of Jesus. Notice he says, but I say unto you, you've heard it said, Not just in the old law, but you've heard a lot of things said up to this point. But when Jesus came to this earth, he said, but I say unto you, I say unto you. And only the the Lord has the right uh, to make that kind of statement because of who he is. He's the son of God. He's he's the Lord himself. But I say unto you. And so a good little uh, study is to take off on that and, and notice at times that Jesus says that here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, notice that the people uh, responded in a tremendous way. Verses 28 and 29 of Matthew 7. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And so let's focus now on this question, what do you more 
than others. Okay. What is taught here is, is, well, several things are taught, but one thing we know that's taught is the high standard of true love. Not just a high standard of love, but the high standard of true love. This is where Jesus is getting to, the high standard of true love. Let's read again here, verses 43 and 44. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. High standard of, of true love. True love, and the word love here used by Jesus is that best word, agape. You've heard of agape love. This kind of love is uh, the one that, that, that seeks the best interest of other people. It seeks the very best interest of other people, even enemies and even strangers. Okay. This is where Jesus is taking us here. And that's the kind of love that we want to have. Okay. So it's a very high standard. Very high standard. It's the highest standard uh, to seek the best interest of, of everyone, even strangers and even enemies. See. Now the Old Testament had said, Leviticus 19 and verse 18, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And a couple other places in the old law. The Old Testament never really did say, hate your enemy. Okay, God doesn't, God doesn't, uh, he doesn't support hate of any kind. Okay. But Jesus is simply repeating what is being said in the crowds that he is, is facing. Okay. He said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Okay. But the Old Testament says, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. But... From the Old Testament times, there was this baggage of hate that came. All the wars, all the conquerings that God asked his people to do created hostility, created a lot of conflict, uh, created attitudes of hate. The example that comes to my mind is Jonah. Remember Jonah? How difficult it was for Jonah to think about God showing favor to these Ninevites, the country of Assyria. Assyria had brought a great amount of torture to God's people over the years. Jonah just about couldn't get over it. He just, I mean, it took took a miracle from God to get him to go to Nineveh. We remember Jonah praying in the belly of that great sea monster, and then in Jonah 3, going to preach. But still, at at the end of Jonah chapter 4, Jonah is pouting about all of this favor being shown to the Ninevites. That that gives you the example. That That gives us a clue as the type of hostility the Jews felt toward other nations, especially Rome here. Rome is... You know, many of the Jews in Jesus' day felt like they needed to be in charge of the governments, the local governments, and Rome was in charge. And a lot of hostility. And so Jesus comes along and he says, you are to love your neighbor, love your str- the strangers, love uh, the enemies. Okay. And so this was very difficult for them. But under the system of Jesus... 
He is calling everyone to a high standard of true love. Okay. He is saying under, under the new covenant, attitudes of hostility, attitudes of hate, conflicts in the flesh have got to be done away with and the nature of true love has got to be put in its place. Now, thinking about this high standard of true love, let's, let's remember that this, is, this does involve emotions, but, but first and foremost, to love truly is a dedication to the eternal welfare of the other person. Okay? That, and I don't want to leave this first ideal of high standard of true love without focusing on that, making sure that that is underscored uh, in our hearts. This is, this is really what true love is, is a dedication, a dedication to the eternal welfare, welfare of another person, of the other person, whatever person there is, especially your enemies, strangers. To be dedicated toward that then is to begin to love like God wants us to love. Now, I don't want, if I could wave my hand, if I could just wave my hand over every place, I would, I would keep anybody from getting sick ever again. I don't, I don't like to hear of sickness. I don't like to be sick. I don't like to hear of anybody being sick. Okay, and you know that. And, and you, you feel the same way. If we could just get rid of sickness, we would just do that. But that's not what God has called us to do. God has called us to help the souls of people. Matthew 16, 26. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Even Jesus didn't come to the earth to eliminate all sickness. He didn't. Even with all his powers, he didn't eliminate all sickness. He came to, to carry out God's, the Father's will and to focus on the soul, focus on the heart and the soul. And so we, we must think of that and I'll keep that in mind. At least it's, it's, it helps me to keep that in mind as Jesus calls us to this high standard of love. Okay. You remember over in Philippians 2, 3 and 4, Paul said words like, um, don't be thinking all the time on your own things, but also on the things of others. You remember that? Do nothing by strife or vainglory. Uh, let me just read it particularly here. Philippians uh, 2, verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Having this mind in you, which was also in Christ uh, Jesus. And that's... That verse goes along with this idea that we're talking about from Matthew uh, chapter 5. The eternal interest of others. Now, anytime we have an opportunity, we want to help somebody lift their burdens. And if we can help somebody overcome sickness and go help them get to the doctor's office and whatever we can do, we're going to do. But our focus, that's not our main focus. Our main focus is, is the soul. So, when you think about this question, Matthew 5, verse 47, what do you more than others? I think we have to start with this high standard 
of true love. The second part of our discussion, I want us to think about this. It it involves a choice. A choice. The choice before us is what level of life are we going to live upon? What level of life are we going to live upon? Notice that Jesus says here in Matthew 5, even the publicans, even the publicans, even the tax collectors live on the level of good for good. You know, uh, love for love. Even the publicans love their own. Even the publicans return good to those who do good to them. Okay. Now, again, thinking about the Jewish man in Jesus' day, they would really despise the publicans because, first of all, Rome is way over there in Rome, and, and right now Jesus is in the Jerusalem and Galilee area, and Rome collected taxes, but they farmed out that business of collecting taxes. I and mean, it was farmed out to these men known as publicans or tax collectors, okay? And it was a very loosey-goosey system, okay, which gave the opportunity for a lot of dishonest and fraud, and, and tax collectors were were very well known for collecting too many, too much tax and then pocketing uh, some of that, part of that as well. And so they were just very despised, not just from the people, but from the Jews, especially because the Jews, again, they didn't think it was even correct for Rome to be in charge of things. And so for them to have to pay taxes on top of being under the rule, they have to financially support Rome. It was really just a tough thing. So Jesus is really getting to the heart of a Jewish mind here when he says, he says, if you just love those that love you, if you just do good to those that do good to you, you're on the same level as these despised tax collectors. See, And so really the, the question here is, what level of life are you going to choose to live upon? You're going to choose to live in the same level as the publicans and tax collectors and everybody else in the world. You see, when we, when we pat the other person's back who packs, pats our back, okay, if we love those that love us, okay, if we just love our own, then we are living on the same level as the world. Okay? And Jesus is simply asking us, where is the honor in that? Okay. What is so special about that? Jesus didn't call us to be like the world. He called us, he called us to be like him. Okay. So where's the honor in that? We can easily imagine that even the street gangs are good to those who are good to them. Those, the street gangs, one of the... One of the uh, attractions to young people who are kind of lost in, in the big cities is that these street gangs uh, provide them a sort of family, a family they don't have. Okay? But if you will, if these drug lords come, and if you will do this business for us, then we're going to take good care of you. And those gangs become somewhat of a family uh, for these young folks who are lost 
and scattered uh, in this world. They do good to each other. They take care of each other. They have, they have good times together. They, they have meals uh, together. They, they are generous toward each other. And Jesus is saying, if we just love those that love us, then we are no better. And we're on the same level, living on the very same level as uh, these fellows. And he's kind of asking, you know, where's, where's the special nature of that? Where's the honor in that? Jesus also not only mentions love, but he mentions greetings, doesn't he? Here in Matthew 5, verse 47, he says, If you greet only your brothers, or if you give salutations only to your brothers... What are you doing more than others? Do not even the Gentiles uh, do the same? One of the characteristics of, of a, a good person, and especially a Christian, is, is, is your nature of how you greet people. How you greet people. And for some of these Jews, they had, they had started withholding their greetings and their salutations only to those who were special to them. And Jesus said, this is not the kind of love I am calling you toward. Can you ever imagine, okay, let's ask you this question. Can you ever imagine not speaking to somebody on purpose? I can't do it. I can't imagine that. I, I can't imagine trying to avoid somebody, even an enemy. I, I can't imagine. I, I've had many people over the years who had it in for me, okay, and they let me know, okay, but I always insisted that when I would see them, I would go and greet them, I would speak uh, to them, I can't imagine a Christian uh, intentionally uh, not speaking, not greeting someone, not, not um, trying to open up a, a means of of communication between another person, even an enemy, because we are called to help that enemy. We are called to bring the gospel uh, to that enemy. Yeah. Now, Second John, uh, verses 9 through 11, John does say, don't receive a false teacher into your house or give him a God's speed. Well, there's a big difference in that and greeting. And greeting. Jesus is talking about uh, greeting and salutations. He's, he was saying, "There's a practice. Um, there's a practice out here that um, that uh, God frowns upon, and that is you're just reserving your greetings for those that you only uh, care about, only those that you you are around all the time." Okay. And so he even mentions the the greetings here. I think it's um, page 276 in our songbook that um, is a good song in accordance to what we're talking about here. It's called Higher Ground. Higher Ground. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. I want to scale the utmost height and catch a gleam of glory bright. 
still I'll pray to heaven I found, Lord, uh, lead me on to higher ground. The chorus is what really stays uh, with me. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's uh, table land. A higher plane than I have found. Lord, uh, plant my feet on higher ground. And so this is what Jesus is doing here. He's calling us to a higher ground. A higher ground. Uh, Lord, lift me up. And so uh, I wanted us to see here in Matthew 5 that Jesus is talking about the high standard of true love, but also he's saying you have a choice. Each of us has a choice. What level of life we're going to live on. The third part of our discussion I want us to think about is to think about God's expectations. What does God expect? What does God expect of us? And of course you see from this when he asks the question, what do you more than others? God expects us to live better. God expects us to think better. God expects us to do better than the world. Okay? And I think we've got to underscore that in our hearts. God expects us to live better, to think better, and do better than the world. Look in your Bibles to Matthew 5, verse 20. I tell you, unless your righteousness, Jesus says, Matthew 5, verse 20, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds, exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. See what he expects? Most of these, most of these practices, most of these sour attitudes that Jesus is dealing with here, uh, they are found among the Pharisees and scribes, and the Pharisees and scribes are the, are the leading agents of these sour Attitudes, And he says, you've got to exceed that. So the third ideal here I want us to think about is what does God expect of us in comparison to the world? Well, he expects us to live better, do better, and think better uh, than the world because we are his people, after all. Okay. So you think about love. The publicans and everybody else in the world, they love about this much. Okay. They love their own. They love their own. God expects us to love better, love more, to love strangers, to love enemies, to love everybody and show his love to the whole world. See, God expects more uh, from us. I think about this in terms of um, the truth found in the New Testament and religious error. You know, there's so much religious error, religious thinking, religious mistakes in the world. But sometimes those who are part of religious error are doing quite a bit of good in the world. Okay. What about us? What about us? We ought to find some sort of motivation in this, especially in this idea that God expects more from us. The, for example, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they print literature right and left. Okay. Millions and millions of dollars a year on their literature, which is full of complete falsehood. Okay. 
not hardly a shred of truth in any of the Jehovah's Witness literature. Okay. But they're in error. What about those of us who are in the truth? Okay. Should that not motivate us to do even more? Okay. Do we believe we have the truth? Okay. And then are we going to limit ourselves? Are we going to have... Are we, what about us in producing literature and getting literature out? Okay. Are we going to let the Jehovah's Witnesses do all that with their error? God expects more from us. You see. And what about their energy level of the Jehovah's Witnesses? Okay. It's not just one time a year do they get out here and door knock. Okay. They're out here most every Good weather Saturday, you, you can find Jehovah Witnesses out door knocking and spreading their false ideals. Okay, what about us who are in the truth? Where is our energy uh, level? Okay. See, God expects more from His people. Most of the most of the groundwork done in Standing up for life and for standing up for family and marriage, much of that groundwork is done by denominational groups. Much of that is done. Okay. In many respects, they put us in the truth to shame in the, the fact that they put out, they put themselves out there to to try to defend what we know is right, they're in religious error. We feel like we are with the truth. And where's our, where's our boldness? Where's, where's our willingness to stick our neck out in order for the truth uh, to shine? Only bring those up to illustrate that Jesus here is teaching that God expects more from His people. Okay? We don't live on the same level uh, as the world. At least we should. A fourth thought I'd like to uh, share. And this is made plain here in Matthew 5 in our paragraph we've been looking at. But a fourth thought is to notice the example of God Himself. When Jesus says you need to be living according to this high standard of true love, Notice what he says in verse 45. He brings up the example of the Heavenly Father. He says, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5.45 For he makes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and also he sends his rain on the just and the unjust. In other words, God is kind, not just to his own. God is kind to everybody in the world. Okay? He gives rain, he gives sunshine across the board. Okay. And so if we want to be like the Heavenly Father, we must do the same with our kindness and our love. God is the example. <clears throat> we remember uh, Jesus as he died on the cross, Luke 23, 34. What did he say? Father, what? That's right. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Jesus, what Jesus said is what Jesus practiced. Jesus is the only one that ever matched perfectly what he said and what he did. Okay. Jesus said, 
Love your enemies. Do good to them. Pray for them. What is he doing there on the cross? He's doing that very thing. Okay, Father, forgive them for they know not uh, what they do. And across the way and in every example of Jesus, you see him reaching out and doing good to those who know none of us deserve it. But God does good to us, uh, for us, anyway. So God is our, he's our example, he's our standard. He's our standard. Uh, we were discussing compromise uh, here Wednesday night. And a great comment was made that one of the reasons we compromise is because we use the wrong standard. We use the, we use the standard of what other people are doing. And we look at other people and we say, well, their life is going pretty good, so I'll just follow the way, their way of loving, okay? their way of doing. And that's not our standard. Our standard is the highest standard. Okay? Be ye holy as I am holy, 1 Peter 1.15. Love as I love, God says. That he is our standard. And by the way, if, I, if I'm reading it right here, he says you need to... To love your enemies, pray for those that persecute you, so that you may be sons, children of your Father who is in heaven. We can't be right with God. If I, if, am I overreading this? Is it possible to be right with God and be selfish with our love? What do you think? See, this, this is not just an, a, a little sweet idea. It's not just a neat idea. It's not just something to discuss. This is, this is God putting, putting this on the line. Okay? If we're not like this, then we cannot expect to be in heaven with Him. Okay? If we are not receiving the call to this high standard of love, then we can't expect that He's going to regard us as one of His children. Okay? So it's, it's just that serious. That God is the example. He is the standard, not anyone else. And we must take serious uh, our relationship with him in this regard. Okay. One passage that comes to mind is Ephesians chapter 4, 31 and 32. <clears throat> Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Paul says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. You see, we're under a new covenant now. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. See, that's the standard right there. God is the standard. God is the standard. And Jesus said, look what the Lord has done. He provides blessings for everyone, even his enemies, even those of the world. Why does God do that? Why does God bless even those who do not regard Him? Why, why does God send blessings on the just and the unjust? He created all men, and they're created in His image. Okay. He created all men, they're created in His image. So He has a plan for every human being. So He wants every human being to be right with Him. Gentiles finally come into the new covenant. 
Yeah, Julie's saying that Jesus is really preparing uh, his people to get ready to, to love the Gentiles. That the Gentiles will be part of the kingdom and have a big part in the kingdom. So he's preparing people that, to love everyone. Okay. So, yeah. So God spreads his blessings to the just and the unjust uh, in order that the unjust might look at these blessings and then reason within themselves that this is... These blessings are from the true God. Therefore, I need to pay attention to Him. I need to look to Him. I need to study Him out. And I need to find Him. That's why God blesses uh, everyone. Because He wants them to come to Him. Acts 14, uh, verse 17. Paul is reasoning with many uh, Gentiles in this regard. They are in the... uh, He and Barnabas are in the area of Lystra and Derbe. But he says, uh, Acts 14, 16 and 17, he says, In past generations uh, God allowed all nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Okay. So he's appealing to these, these idolaters, in Leicester and Derby and saying, look, you need to get away from these vain things. There's a true God here. He's been blessing you all of your lives. He's been blessing your families and you just hadn't recognized Him. But He hasn't left Himself without witness. He, he spreads these blessings to create a trail for people to find Him, study Him out, and then uh, be able to submit to Him. And so the standard here is God, not, not man. Standard is God. The example uh, is God. Yeah. We want. Go ahead, brother. Yeah. So Sam's bringing up Second Peter three verse nine, where. Plainly says God doesn't want anyone to perish. He's long suffering, long suffering toward that end. Okay. sharing a very good truth and that is we sometimes get caught up in day-to-day life, day-to-day offenses. <laughs> offenses. And, uh, and he brings up Jesus on the cross. Jesus was offended daily. But Jesus wasn't just looking toward daily offenses. He had something greater in mind. He wanted to die for people's sins so that their soul uh, could be secure. And that will help us as well if we can remember what is truly important, 
keep us from from um, getting so wrangled in the personal offenses. So that's an excellent point. Now, one other big thought I wanted us to remember before we leave this discussion, and that is it's easy to get dragged down by the world. Easy to get dragged down by the world. Even with the best intentions, the world can drag us down. Uh, For example, um, the average person would say, well, uh, you shouldn't kill. And most people walking around the earth would agree it's wrong to kill. But Jesus went further, didn't he? Okay. Jesus went further. He said, even the seed of murder is wrong. Uh, we were mentioning that Wednesday night, 1 John 3, verse 15, where Jesus, how does he say it? 1 John 3, verse 15 Uh, John writes, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so, you know, the world would say, well, don't kill. Jesus says, I don't want you to have the seed of murder in your heart. The world would say, the average person in the world would say, well, it's okay to retaliate. If somebody does something wrong, then they need to be, somebody needs to get back with them, get even with them. Uh, But Jesus said, said, you know, I don't want you retaliating. His example showed that he did not retaliate against his offenders. Uh, Jesus led the Apostle Paul to write in Romans 12 that we are to do good to our enemies, um, feed them, pray for them, heap coals of fire upon them, overcome evil with good. Okay. Now, the one part we didn't get to, which I, which I want you to study on your own, is that this part of the Sermon on the Mount is also found in Luke chapter 6, okay? And so please mark that, Luke 6, 34, okay? And study this out on your own. But the world, average person world, will be nice to somebody in order to get back from that person. And if you'll just notice people, you ever just study people? My grandfather on my mother's side used to, used to love to just go to public places and study people. You ever just study people? Most people hang out with people because they know those people are going to, they're going to get something from those people. Okay? They're going to get back something back from those people. And that's what Jesus brings up in Luke 6, 34, is that when we do good, we don't do it in order to receive back. Okay? We're not in it for gain. Rather, as we have been... As we freely have received from God, so we freely give to others. Okay? So we are to give kindness in an unselfish and free manner, generous manner, expecting nothing back. Expecting nothing back. And so the world can drag us down from this high standard to the low average standard that they operate on. And Jesus says you need to be careful about that. Okay, thank you for going through this paragraph with me. The, the question this morning was, uh, what do you more than others? Jesus is calling us to that higher ground.